If you'll go with me to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16 and verse 24. I just want to reiterate, reiterate again. Thank you all again for having us. We're, we're thrilled to be down here with you all. We love this area and just had a great time. We've been in Florida for two weeks, get ready to leave tomorrow. But we've had just so much fun in Florida this go around. And so just want to say thank you all again. Bible says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to speak tonight about a certain group of people, and we see this group of people in all across history. They go to war, they make financial decisions, they run for political office, they do all kinds of different things, and these are all people who lose something. Now, all of us know what it's like to lose something, don't we? I mean, we've all lost something. Maybe you've had to leave to go somewhere, and all of a sudden you found you've lost your car keys or whatever it may be, or your child hit them from you. Well, it could be something inconsequential, it could be something serious, but we've all lost something at some point or another in our lives. And the Bible here speaks about two incredible types of loss. And the first one that Jesus mentions, mentions here is that Christian who loses their life for Christ's sake. Now, let's face it, right here in Florida where we are, I hope most likely none of us are going to be called upon to literally die for the gospel's sake. I mean, I hope it's never going to come to that point in our lives. But, you know, each and every single one of us that calls ourselves by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of us are called to be all in the battle for him. Every one of us are called to be that Christian who takes up their cross and they follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. He talked about the cross here. And you know, in today's culture, it's so easy to, to really sanitize the cross, isn't it? I mean, we see it on necklaces. We see it on church steeples or whatever it may be. It's a very nice Christian symbol to us. But, you know, back in that day and even now, the cross was like the most brutal, torturous way you can imagine devising to kill somebody upon. Roman, Roman slaves who revolted against the government were, were crucified on crosses all along the, uh, the road there to show others what would happen to them if they tried the exact same thing. Our Lord was crucified on a cross for the sins of the whole world, for your sins and for my sins. The cross has a cost. And Christian, if you and I are going to take up our cross and to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a cost, won't there? It will cost us something. It will cost us what this world has to offer us. But what this world has to offer us is, is junk anyway, isn't it? I mean, honestly, when you look at it, the things that people were, were stealing from one another and robbing from one another 10 years ago, they're selling, for, they're selling in yard sales this summer. You know what I'm saying? It's just stuff deteriorates so quickly. I remember growing up and I went to a Christian high school and we carpooled uh, with a family and they had a little more money than what we did. And well, anyway, I was in about eighth grade in 2006 and one day I, I get in the car there and it was a new one. It was like you could tell it was a different car and it was a nice too. I mean, I was looking in there and back then I didn't have the filter on my mouth like I do today, you know. So I was like, look at this, you know, this y'all got money. And she said, yeah, it's an 07, which in 2006, an 07 was the best you could get, you know. And now 14 years later, you know, 07s are nice, but 
nobody's oohing and aahing over them anymore, are they? I mean, I'm driving one out here right now, and nobody's come up to me admiring it, you know? It's just the things of this world, they deteriorate that quickly. And Christ says, when you take up your cross and follow me, it has a cost, but it costs the things of this world, but they're junk anyway. And he says, the true riches that I want you to seek after are those things which are eternal, that can never fade away, can never be corrupted. He says, those are the things that I want you to seek after. And when I think of somebody who sought after the Lord with all his heart, who, who, said, I, who, said, who said, I want to take up my cross and follow after Jesus Christ, I think of the Apostle Paul. And what did he say in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7? He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And why? He said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And Paul said, I will take up my cross, I will follow after the Lord, is what he said with his life. And we know that Paul's life entailed much suffering, and yet also he was probably the greatest Christian any of us really can think of in the Bible. You know, just a, somebody who said, I want to be used of God. And let me tell you, God will use each of us in various and many different ways. He doesn't have the exact same plan for your life as he does for ours or pastors or, or whoever here. But he has something for every Christian who says, I will take up my cross. I will lose my life for Christ's sake. But you know what happens when we say, Jesus, I want to follow after you. There's immediately like this, this fear that tries to come into our lives about serving him, isn't there? Maybe pastor has stood up here and he said, hey, we need helpers in this ministry or that ministry or whatever it may be. And you've thought to yourself, God, could you use me in that way? And I say, yes, God could use you. But as soon as you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, there is a certain fear that tries to stop you from doing what it is God has given you to do. I know when God was working in my heart about being a missionary, I was already two years into a secular degree. And I was just I was thinking, God. I just do not want to be making some kind of wrong decision or ridiculous thing. And what about this? And what about that? But I tell you what, when you surrender to do what God has given you to do, whatever it may be, he just gives you this peace after you surrender to do it that you just can't explain. You know, and I believe that when you say, Lord, I'm going to follow after you. I believe that when you take that first step of faith, he helps you to take the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And so you end up all the way over here and you have no idea how you got there, but you know that Jesus led you all the way. Some of you are serving in ministries right now that you never would have imagined you'd be serving in, and yet you've watched God work. And some of you are teaching Sunday school classes, playing instruments, whatever it may be, and you're say, you say, God has led me all the way. I tell you what, I mentioned being president of the United States earlier, but I, I couldn't be any happier than what I am right now. Just I'd rather be with y'all than up in the halls of Congress any day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just serving God is just a wonderful thing. And yes, there are costs to it. Yes, there are things. We, but but, 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 but the, the, the things that Christ promises us and the blessings and the peace that he gives so far outweigh those things. And those things that we are afraid of anyway when it comes to serving God, like, like I said, maybe pastor has said, hey, I need, we need workers in this ministry or that, and God's been working in your heart about that, about, you know, because it will cost you your time. It may cost you your money or whatever, but you know what? God's just been working in your heart about that. Those things that you find yourself afraid of are things that often won't even come to pass anyway, aren't they? We think, well, what will that person think? And that person's not even thinking. You know what I'm saying? Or we think, what about this or that? I remember 
Speaking of unfounded fears, growing up in, in Tennessee, as a little boy, uh, we'd always take these trips to Maryland to visit my great-grandmother. She used to live up there. That was up north, and uh, I always hated going up there because when you're, when you're seven years old, seven hours in a car is like an eternity. You know what I'm saying? And now in deputation, we're like, well, that ain't too bad. You know what I'm saying? But we just would go up there, and she lived in Baltimore in those row homes that you that they used to have and I guess they still have but she lived in them and to be honest with you it just got kind of boring staying in the, there was no room to play there was just it was boring so anyway so we went up there and and she was always there in her living room I loved grandma but she's always there in her living room with the tv on and one night we were there around the tv and it was my parents and my sister and my grandma and me and I don't even think they were really watching it watching it I think they just had it on but it was America's Most Wanted. And you know, like that show with like those people who are out there to get you, you know, or, or the 10 most wanted people in America. And if you see them in the wild, just call us and we'll come get them for you, you know. And when I was a little boy, seven years old, I used to think that these kind of people were everywhere. I didn't understand 330 million people in America and 10 of them were out there on a the loose. You know, it was just like, wow. And, and so I just remember being terrified of this kind of thing. And, and so this man had done something to, to his family. And I was just like, that's terrible, you know. And, and so I was like, I, I, I'm scared of this guy. But then I was like, he's not near here and I'm safe from him, you know. But then I began to really think and I began to think, but now wait a minute. If that man could do that to his family, then my parents could do the exact same thing to me. And I became terrified of these parents that I had, you know, and I was like, who are these people? You know, I said, I don't even think they're really my family. I mean, that's, you know, and I became really scared that they were going to kill me like that man. And so there I was, and, and I was waiting for it, and they weren't doing it, and, and they leave Maryland with me. We go home. I'm sleeping with one eye open the whole way. We get to the gas station he gets out and goes to the trunk and I'm like what's he doing back there comes back gets in and we leave again and a few days go by we're home in Tennessee and I'm just waiting and it's never happening and school was a relief you know and so there I am and I get home one night and I'm just pacing the floor in my bedroom scared to death and you know how when you're worried about something or you're afraid of something it can build and it can build and you can become like physically ill you know that kind of thing I was getting to that point and you know, God doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to live not in a spirit of fear, but in a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, we shouldn't live in worry and fear. But you can forgive a seven-year-old boy who thinks he's living with his would-be killers. And so there I was, scared to death. And they noticed I was acting strangely. And they called me in their room. I looked in their room. She was sitting on his side of the bed, and I thought it was really weird. Like, why is she there? So they called me in the room, and I walk in there. And I get in there, and I finally just decided, you know what? If they're going to do it, they're going to do it. And I'm sick of waiting, you know. And so they said, what's wrong with you? And I said, do you all know that show we watched the other night? They said, yes. I said, I'm just afraid y'all are going to kill me. And they said, we're not going to kill you. We love you, you know, and all that. And I thought to myself, that's what I would say, too, if I were going to do it and didn't want him to know, you know. But as a little boy, that was a big deal to me. That was going to happen. My parents were going to do that. And my parents knew they were. that was ridiculous. They were never going to do something like that to me. And I think how much more when we want to serve the Lord and we say, God, I want to follow after you. I want to take up my cross and, and to lose my life for your sake and, and to do what you've given me to do, but I'm afraid of whatever it may be. How much more does our Heavenly Father say, but my child, I did not bring you here to watch you fall on your face and to get a big laugh out of you. I brought you here because I want to use you and I want to do something with your life. 
I've not looked in the face of a single person tonight that God can't use in some way that that person won't say, I will, I will take up my cross and follow after my Lord. We've gotten the chance to meet several people on deputation that have been such blessings to us. Two examples. One, Miss Kathleen. We were in Florida, as it turned out, and we were staying in a prophet's chamber. I noticed this lady in her 60s. She was cleaning there like two or three days in a row. So finally, I walk up to her, and I said, well, Miss Kathleen, I said, are you the janitor or whatever? And she said, well, not really. She said, I just, she said, I, I, I like to clean. And she said, and it's just, I have free time, and it's just something I can do for the church, and I just enjoy doing it to serve the Lord. And I thought, you know, that's not something we're all going to be volunteering to do, probably. First, you know, first thing we're going to volunteer to do. And yet here was a lady who said, I have something I can do for the Lord. I have a way that I can serve him. And then another man named uh, Michael, we were up in New Hampshire. They had a, a big festival thing there. It was called a pumpkin regatta last October. We, we went there with the church for a missions conference, and we were setting up a booth there to invite people to church at this pumpkin regatta. And this man named Michael, he wasn't exactly like, you know, the kind of person who was just really outgoing and stuff like that. But uh, as we were doing games with the kids and inviting people to church over there, I noticed he was there on the street just as people were passing by, just giving them tracts, you know, and just inviting them to church and just doing something out there. And I thought everybody, I thought there's somebody who's just doing what it is that he's been given to do by God. You know what I'm saying? And it was an encouragement to me, a blessing to me. I tell you, it made me want to serve the Lord more. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you never know how when you're serving God, how you're going to encourage other people to serve him as well. When you say, Lord, I will lose my life for your sake. But that Bible also talks about another man, and his name was Demas. And what did the Bible say? It says, Demas, Paul said, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, the sad thing is, is that so many Christians, they will live and they will die just like that. It will not be literally written on their tombstones, but everybody will kind of know that he or she loved this present world. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody like that tonight, that you've come, and it's a Wednesday night, you know, but you say, you know, I'm here three nights a week and whatever it may be, but if I'm, my heart is just, I'm seeking after the things of this world more than after the things of God. I care more about the things of this world, more than I care about the things of God. I mentioned God getting a hold of my heart, you know, when I was about 20 years old. And to be honest with you, I was, I was in church three times a week. I gave my tithe. I gave my missions. But my heart just was not in it following after the Lord. I wasn't truly serving him the way he wanted me to. And God wants to use every one of us if we say, I'll be like Paul and not be like Demas. I'll be like Caleb. When the 12 spies went into the land of Canaan and they came back, what happened? Ten of them said what? They said, we have all the promises of God, but there are giants in the land. And they said, I know what God gave me to do. I know how God gave me to, how, what God gave me to do, but I know what I just saw with my own two eyes. But what did Caleb say? He said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And I believe that whenever you surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I will take up my cross and follow after you. I will serve you however it is you've given me to serve. I believe he helps you to just well able to overcome it in his power. The second loss that's mentioned there is the worst loss of all, and it's the loss of the soul. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? In Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus tells a story about a man who that basically he he said he got so much stuff he was living for today he had his treasures here on earth and he he had so much stuff and he said i don't even know what to do with all this stuff he says what am i going to do with it all and he says well i'll do this he says i'll pull down my barns and i'll build greater and there will i bestow all my fruits and my goods and he says and i'm going to say to my soul soul eat drink and be merry for thou hast much goods laid up for many years and he was basically saying i'm just going to sit back and enjoy life and life's going to be wonderful for me 
And God says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Vintage shall those things be. He spoke about where he was putting his treasures, but it also spoke about that mindset of just, I've got forever and everything's going to be okay. And God says, you're not even going to live out this night. And there is no doubt somebody in the Miami area that woke up this morning thinking everything is perfectly fine and they don't know that they're going to live out, not even going to live out this night. That's the worst loss of all is the loss of the soul. When I was working in high school, I, I went and I started working at Cracker Barrel as a server there. And I had a coworker there who was my age and her name was Lindsay and we were friends, not buddy-buddy, but she was a good coworker. I liked her as a coworker. I left, I went on to other things. And uh, I was still friends with her on Facebook, friends with some of them on Facebook. And one day, coming back from a meeting on last year on deputation, I opened up my phone just for a minute, and I put, turn, put on Facebook for a second, and I realized that they were all posting her picture, and it was obvious that she had passed away. And I was looking at that, horrified by somebody I knew that young who had died. And I asked my dad what had happened, and he said, well, he's a police officer there, and he said, well, Last night as she was coming home from work, he said she was driving and she stopped at an intersection and she had a seizure as she was driving. And he said she went across the intersection and down an embankment. And he said and when she went down the embankment, she flipped her car down there. And he said she actually didn't die from the speed or nothing like that. He said she died because there was so much rain that had risen in the creek down there that it actually drowned her in her car. And I thought that... I thought if you had told her that morning she would drown, I mean, she had no idea that's how that would happen. But then I thought to myself, Stephen, you used to work with her. You used to be there with her. Did you do what you could to make sure she had the gospel? Did you do what you could? Because in my mind, Lindsay had forever to hear the gospel. Lindsay's 25 years old. You know, I mean, she's got the rest of her life. I need to witness somebody who's much older than that. And, and yet God knew she had less time than somebody who was in their 80s and in their 90s. And why do I say that? Because if God's been working in your heart, well, first of all, if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, that's the most important thing. If you've never come to the place where you've realized you were a sinner and you've said, you've realized that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins and you put your faith and trust in him alone for salvation, that's the most important thing. But second of all, I do believe I'm speaking to a majority of Christians. And I say, if God's been putting somebody in your heart that he has been impressing on your heart to witness to, a coworker, a neighbor, whatever it may be, don't put it off thinking that you have forever to witness to that person. You don't know that you won't be here next week with the exact same story that I'm here with tonight. I just think God has put each and every single one of us in places where he wants us to do something about the souls that are in that place. When we were in uh, Chile the first time, the missionary Brother Holt, he took us to uh, a Catholic cemetery there. And we went and there was imagery up everywhere, very symbolic and stuff like that. But it was all outward works and different things like that. And we were walking through... And you had to pay to get your loved one in there and stuff like that. And it was better for them in the afterlife, supposedly. And we were there. And it was sad. I mean, you knew as you were looking at this that if they had trusted in anything but the blood of Christ for salvation, that they were dead and in hell. And we're standing there surrounded by these graves. And he opened up the Bible to Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 and said, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores. And what does it say? They both died. And it says in verse 23, In hell he, the rich man, lifts up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Why? For I am tormented in this flame. 
Abraham says, we can't do that. And then what happens? He says, well, he knew he had no hope. So he said, well, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And as we stood there surrounded by these graves of these people, he said, these graves are full of people crying out for somebody to tell their loved ones not to come to this place of torment. And that broke my heart for the people of Santiago. But you know what? That's not just in Chile. That is right here in Pembroke Pines where we are. There are graves of people around us tonight crying out for somebody in this auditorium to go tell their loved ones not to come to this place of torment. And they say, you go to work with my sister every day. Will you say something to her so she doesn't have to be here? Or, you know, you are neighbors with my, with my grandson. And I've been down here for a long time, but you're neighbors with him. And would you say something to him, invite him to your church, and, 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 or, or, you know, give the gospel to him so that he doesn't have to be here where I am? And you may think, well, that they ain't going to respond to that. You have no idea. I was just learning about how your pastor and where would he be if, if Miss Keeley had not witnessed to him at, at some point. You know what I'm saying? You never know who you are going to impact with the gospel when you say, Lord, I will give it to them. Let me tell you, it can be a scary thing. When God tells you to speak to somebody, it can be a very nerve-wracking thing. But I tell you what, when you go to give them the gospel, he just gives you a peace and he gives you the words to say that you didn't know he was going to do beforehand. God is always with that Christian who says, Lord, I will, I will witness for you. And so tonight we've seen two different types of loss. The first is that Christian who loses their life for Christ's sake. And I ask, Christian, what type of Christian are you? Are you the type of Christian who says, I'm not perfect, but if, as best I know, I am following after the Lord. I am taking up my cross. I'm following after him. Or do you say, you know, honestly, I'm more like a Demas, or, or at least in some area, I'm just not obeying the Lord and doing what he's given me to do. He's been telling me to witness to somebody, and I've just not been doing it. He's been telling me to be involved in the church in a certain way, and I've just not been doing it. But you say, Stephen, I just don't, wanna, I just don't want to continue that way. I, I don't want my testimony to be a Demas. I want to be somebody who I love the Lord Jesus, and I serve him, and I take up my cross and follow after him. And the second loss was that, that, that soul, the loss of the soul. And I ask, do you know the Lord is your Savior tonight? Because none of this matters if you never come to the place where you've, you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says we cannot serve two masters. It says we cannot serve, uh, it says we cannot serve God and man. When we cannot serve God in this world, it says we either love the one and hate the other, or we will hold to the one and despise the other. Christian, you and I cannot waver between the two. And so I say, along with Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. Father, I come to you. And I thank you for your word, and I thank you for, um, just, Father, the opportunity that I have to preach it. And I just, Lord, but I pray for my brothers and my sisters that are here. I pray if there's one who needs to be, uh, Lord, saved, that you'll save them. I pray if there's somebody who needs to be, Lord, serving you, that they will. But, Lord, if there's somebody who needs to just go witness to that person you've placed in their lives and on their hearts, I pray you give them boldness to do so and prepare that person's heart beforehand to hear the gospel. In Jesus' name.